Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Some of you might remember a film from the early 90s called City Slickers. Uh, It's about a guy named Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, and he's turning 39 years old. He's got a couple friends who give him this big trip for his birthday to go on a cattle drive from New Mexico to Colorado. It's a two-week trip. And Mitch, at this point in his life, he's been kind of feeling stuck in his job, stuck in his life in general. His two friends, one of them feels kind of stuck in a loveless marriage. The other uh, is doing fine in his career, but he's having trouble committing to starting a family with his newer, much younger wife. And so Mitch's wife, Barbara, she convinces him to go on this trip to do a little kind of soul searching and and find himself. Uh, So they go on the trip and their guide is this kind of rough and tumble cowboy named Curly. And Curly is, is pretty intimidating, kind of quiet, mysterious at first. Uh, but as they're going on their journey, there's a point where Mitch and Curly have this conversation. And, and Mitch is kind of pouring out his woes about life to Curly. And, and Curly is saying how, you know, you, you city folk worry too much. And life is so different for us cowboys. And, and he says to Mitch, you want to know the secret of life? He holds up his finger. This. One thing. And Mitch is like, well, what's the one thing? And Curly says, that's what you have to figure out. So this whole, the whole movie is about kind of this journey that Mitch and his friends are on to, to find their purpose and happiness in life. In this new series that we're beginning today, we'll be looking to answer that question. What is the one thing? The one thing that's most important to us, that gives us purpose, that keeps us stable and guides our lives. Upon what are we building our lives? In this series, which we're calling Foundations, we'll be challenged to commit or recommit our lives as Christ's disciples to following him and seeing him as our firm foundation, that one thing that shapes all of life. So today we're going to consider Jesus' call to discipleship and what it really means to follow Christ. You know, if we say that Jesus is our foundation, that he's that one thing that we're building our life on, what does that really mean? And are we really living in light of that? Uh, And then in the next few weeks following, we're going to consider some of these aspects of our lives that help us to continue building on that firm foundation. So things like reading the Bible and prayer and going deeper in relationships. So we'll focus today on this call to discipleship. 
There's lots of things vying for our attention and, and promising that if we make them the one thing that we'll have kind of the life that we desire. You know, especially at the start of the new year here, we might be hearing lots of different voices kind of calling us to follow them. So maybe it's that exercise program or eating plan that promises good health or uh, a leader in your field of work that says if you kind of do my, follow my philosophy of life, you'll, you'll be successful. Or maybe there's that financial or savings plan that promises a secure future. Um, there's people in our lives, like leaders, who say, you know, if we follow them, our society will be improved. Or even just friends who kind of seem to promise us a secret to happiness um, and a sense of self. And these invitations can sometimes sound like they're offering that one thing. Uh, that will define us and help us to feel fulfilled in life. But what we sometimes can do is lump in the call that Jesus gives to us to follow him with all these other voices and calls. So, you know, at the start of the year, we'll say things like, I want to eat better, I want to develop a good financial plan, I want to go deeper in my spiritual life, I want to be nicer to my family. We kind of list out all these different things, and, and of course I'm not saying it's bad to set goals in different areas, but we can start to see our discipleship or our following of Christ as just another thing we do, or kind of an add-on to our lives. Or maybe even the thing that helps us get to the one thing that gives us purpose. Um, and not the actual thing itself. Or maybe we can see our faith as what will just make us happy or make us a better person. But when we read what Jesus, is, Jesus says about following him, he's offering himself as the one thing. And he does this in a way that sounds pretty extreme. You know, we just heard Ron read that passage for us, and Jesus doesn't really come across as this friendly salesperson who's kind of trying to convince you first of the benefits of following him, and then once you buy that, he kind of lays out the challenges. Jesus just jumps right into the challenges. You know, deny yourself. Lose your life. Follow me. You have to make me first. And I imagine if you're here or if you're watching through our live stream today, it means that you're, you've either already said that you want to follow Jesus, or maybe you're exploring what life would look like if you did follow Jesus. Maybe you know someone who's got some questions about what it looks like to follow Christ. So today we'll look at this call of Jesus to follow him, his call to discipleship and the cost that that requires. And then we'll also consider the appropriate response to that call. We'll think about why we should respond and what enables us to do so. So first off, what is this call? What is it that Jesus is inviting us to do when he says, follow me? It requires two things. It requires a reordering of our priorities, and it requires a redefined sense of self. So let's look first at this idea of reordering our priorities. In the second part of the passage we just heard, we encounter three people who are exploring this idea of following Jesus. So the first guy is eagerly saying that he wants to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And you would think Jesus would be excited about that and just kind of say, all right, great, come on along. But 
But he gives this response and kind of slows him down for me. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, and the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus knows what's in this man's heart, and he perceives that he might not actually have Christ as his first priority. You know, he probably knows this guy's lifestyle, and maybe he's got a nice home, a nice standard of living, and he's kind of saying to this guy, are you really willing to give that up, give up those comforts for my sake and what I want you to be part of? And then there's the next two people. Uh, Jesus invites the second guy to follow him, but he replies that he first needs to go bury his father. Now that sounds like a pretty reasonable request. Um, his father had passed away and he wanted to follow the, the legal and, and moral expectations for burial. Now Jesus' response isn't meant to indicate that he has no concern for those who have died. But again, he perceives what's in this man's heart. He recognizes that he's making an excuse for why he can't follow Jesus, or at least not right now. Jesus is saying that the true priority is God and his kingdom. There can't be any other firsts. There can't be anything else we make priority before Christ, not even our family. This guy was making maybe legalism or, or the expectations of others a barrier to following Christ. And, and he's saying, you know, let me do this thing first that everyone's telling me I need to do. He was putting this message of others and the relationship with his family before Christ. And the third guy is similar. He says he wants to follow Jesus, but he puts a condition on it. So he states that his first priority is to go back and say farewell to those at home. So maybe that's his family or friends or work colleagues. This man even calls Jesus Lord, but his heart is not submitted to Christ as Lord. He wants to follow Jesus on his own terms. But following Christ requires us to reorder our priorities. It's true that God meets us where we are by his grace. We've talked about that before. But he doesn't just let us kind of stay in our situation and just accommodate to our lives as we want them to be. So think about when Jesus calls his first disciples, um, if we remember Simon and Andrew, James and John, the fishermen, or Levi, the tax collector, Jesus calls them to follow. And he doesn't say, but you know, you can stay in your career and I'll just kind of give you a spiritual experience. He calls them out of their comfort zones into a life of faith. He calls them to reorder their priorities and live a life of obedience and submission and sacrifice to God. So Jesus says to this third man that no one who looks back from the plow is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I think the idea here is that our focus can really be only primarily on one kind of vocation or calling in life. If our true desire is for God's kingdom to come in and through us, then we must be completely submitted to Christ and willing to serve him alone and his purposes. We can't make any other job or relationship or anything else a higher priority. 
Now this is challenging, isn't it? You know, it's easy to say that we say a lot, Jesus is the Savior and Lord of my life. But are we really making him our main priority? Or are we tied to something else? You know, maybe it's material things or comforts that we have in life. Maybe it's um, something that we're, our, our work or something that we're investing all our time in that is becoming more important than Christ. Maybe it's expectations that others have for us or maybe even that we put on ourselves or our family. These, the things that we do are often not bad things, but it's when they become a higher priority than Jesus, and that's where we hit that challenge of, are we really willing to submit to Christ to serve his kingdom? About this time last year, I was applying for this job as discipleship pastor, and uh, my family had moved here in November of 2020, and I expected that there'd be kind of a season. I, I wasn't sure exactly how long, but I was hoping it'd be several months or so <laughs> that I would have to just have a little downtime, have some rest, time with family. I wasn't gonna start applying for jobs right away when we moved here. My husband was able to keep his job remotely when we moved. And uh, so I had to kind of go on this journey. I had heard about this job opening before the holidays and kind of thought, I still want to have a little bit of my time here. I'm not going to pursue that yet. Um, and But through that t time with God, as I was around the holidays and just kind of spending that time with the Lord, I felt like he was kind of challenging me on what, what are my priorities? Am I really wanting to pursue what he wanted me to do or just focus on kind of my own desires and, and priorities? And so the holidays passed. I learned that this position was still open, applied. Of course, here I am. But um, there was this challenge of trusting that God really had me, wanted me to use my gifts in a certain way to glorify him. And there's still, of course, uncertainties and insecurities in this job. There's still a challenge of thinking through um, you know, we have a lot of family, we live near a lot of family now, which we didn't live near as much in Massachusetts where we came from. So there's this challenge of what does the family of God really look like? We can easily just spend a lot of time with our biological family. But we're being stretched and challenged to say, what does it look like to engage with our community and to, to love and serve our neighbors and to be part of this church family here at Grantham? So. I'm being challenged to be part of what God wants me to do to bring his good news to the people around me. So perhaps we want Jesus to be our savior and we want him to you know, forgive our sins, to answer our prayers, to do this or that for us, but we can struggle to make him the Lord of our lives, the master and leader of our life. We've gotta realize though that these two are inseparable. You know, we can't be a Christian and not submit to his lordship. If we want a relationship with Jesus, then that necessitates we follow him in the way he defines it. And if we're not willing to put Christ first in our life, then I think we need to ask ourselves if we really know who Jesus is. You know, or maybe, maybe we kind of know intellectually in our heads who Jesus is, but is that really in our hearts? Are we really trusting him with the way we live our lives? In earlier verses in Luke chapter 9, P 
Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah of God. Jesus is the promised one that they had been waiting for, who would bring repair and rescue to all the world in, in all these different ways, you know, physical, spiritual, emotional, social. But we know that later, the same one, Peter, who said Jesus is the Messiah, would go on to deny that he even knew Christ before he was crucified. So why, if Peter really knew in his heart who Jesus was, why would he deny him? You know, when we make other things a higher priority than Christ, it's usually not just because we're lazy or disorganized or undisciplined. You know, we can use those as excuses. I I use those a lot. But it's really because we don't know in our hearts or trust who Christ is and what he has done. We need to be kind of woken up to who he is and what he's done for us. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. So Jesus' call to follow him requires us to reorder our priorities and also requires a redefined sense of self. Let's look again at these verses in 23 to 25. It says, He said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? We hear a lot in our society that you should find yourself. You know, we hear, you do you, or do what makes you happy, do what makes you feel good. If you're familiar with the sitcom Parks and Rec, treat yourself. But Jesus calls his disciples to deny themselves, to lose themselves. And when he says here about losing your life, he doesn't necessarily mean a physical, literal death, but the word here is suke in the Greek. It's where we get psyche or soul. It's kind of losing your very soul, your inner self, losing your identity in Christ. So we have to be careful, it's not this complete losing of the individual self, kind of this Eastern Buddhist mindset, but it's losing yourself to find yourself. We often think that our main purpose in life is to kind of pursue our deepest desires and and find and, and fulfill those. We spend a lot of time in our young adult years trying to figure out, you know, what we're passionate in life, uh, about in life, what we want to pursue and do with our lives. We get to midlife like Mitch and his friends and kind of have these crises when when it doesn't turn out the way we think it will and we're not exactly doing what we thought we would be doing at that point. We hope for retirement where we'll be able to just completely pursue our passions and and dreams. Um, But Jesus' call to follow him is an invitation to deny ourselves, to renounce our desires and our way of living so that we can find new life. And while this does sometimes include just denying the luxuries in life, that's not really the main point here. It's a recognition that we are not the master of our own lives. We are no longer seeking to pursue our priorities or ambitions or dreams, but we're surrendering to God's will and his desires. When Jesus says to take up your cross and follow him, 
it's, it's a representative of a submission to another authority. So crucifixion, in, as used by the Romans, was this cruel method of execution to keep people from rebelling. The one to be executed would carry the horizontal piece of their cross to the execution site, and this was a public display of their submission to the state. So when we carry our cross, um, you know, Jesus isn't just referring here to kind of a, a hard situation or, or an unfortunate lot in life. You know, we hear people say, oh, it's the cross I have to bear, which kind of referring to, oh, something kind of unfortunate that I have to deal with in life. What Jesus is saying here is that we need to submit to a new authority. We must die to our old way of life, die to our old way of gaining our sense of self. You know, we don't really gain our sense of self by looking for it in ourselves. We look to a lot of different things to define us. You know, sometimes we look for fulfillment or value from a certain social group or party, from our jobs or our family or that exercise program. But the call to take up our cross is a call to build our lives on the firm foundation of Christ the one who gives us that stable and true sense of self. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the German pastor and theologian who actually ended up being killed because of his role in resisting the Nazi regime, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, while for most, at least in our country, that probably won't mean a physical death as a direct result of our faith, um, but it could mean a lot of different things. It might mean leaving your home or leaving a job. It might mean reallocating some of your finances. It might mean letting go of a dream for a future that's successful according to the world's standards. It might mean forgiving someone who has hurt you or letting go of a grudge. It might mean pursuing kind of a tough relationship or going out of your comfort zone to develop a friendship with someone in your neighborhood. It might mean risking opening up your friend group or your family activities to invite someone in who's different from you or who might challenge you. You know, this can look a lot of different ways. It might require us to reorganize our time, our schedules, to submit to Christ. When Jesus calls us to follow him, it looks different for each of us because we all have different things that we look to for our uh, definition and that sense of self. But Jesus is saying to look to him, look to me, and I will define you, I will guide you. Let me show you your value and use you in the way that's best for your good and my glory, he says to us. And let me just say this death of self doesn't necessarily mean living a miserable life. I think we can have this sense that, oh, I've got to deny myself and just live in misery all the time in order for God to be glorified through me. But it doesn't mean just completely forgetting everything you're passionate about or good at. Um, you know, there was the, the movie Chariots of Fire, some of you might have seen, which is about two runners in the 1924 Olympics. There's Eric Liddell and Harold Abrahams. And Liddell was a devout Christian born to missionary parents. And his sister thought that instead of pursuing running professionally, that he should be returning to the mission field in China. 
Um, but he says, Eric says this to his sister, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. So it's not that he had to just completely ignore what he was good at with running, but that needed to be submitted to Christ. And Liddell would even choose not to run a race on a Sunday because according to his beliefs, he set that time aside to say this is devoted to God and to help him remember that God is what was most important in his life. So, you know, denying yourself, taking up your cross, it doesn't mean just living this horrible life, but it means submitting to Christ, finding our sense of self in him, and asking for him to show us where he wants us to use those passions and gifts to glorify him. So this leads us to what the appropriate response is then to Jesus' call to discipleship. This is hard stuff, so, so why would we want to do it? Why should we say yes to following Jesus? Why should we shift our priorities or change the way we approach life? Because in God's economy, losing your life is actually finding it. It's in taking up our cross that we join in Christ's suffering And when we realize that he has already suffered the ultimate penalty for us, we are then empowered to sacrifice for him. This is what I mean by by really knowing who Christ is and trusting what he did for us. It's when we join in Christ's suffering that we realize that that's actually the way to life. You know, this present world is not our ultimate reality. The things we possess here are not what we will be able to possess permanently. When we put aside our pursuits, or the the pursuits that the world kind of puts before us, or that we have instincts to follow, that, when we put those aside, that's the way to communion with God, to joy in life, and to peace for the soul. But let's not limit ourselves to think that following Christ is just about eternity. You know, if we were, uh, we could easily say, if we were only focused on eternity, okay, I can follow Jesus later. Let me be like those guys who said, let me do this other thing first. And we can put that off and make excuses as to why we're not ready yet. But the life of a disciple is a life that begins now. In verse 60 of Luke 9, Jesus is calling the follower to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And this is a kingdom that has already entered the world through Christ. Just a few chapters earlier in Luke chapter 4, Jesus publicly reads a passage from Isaiah that says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He has set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus says that this scripture is fulfilled in him. So Christ's reign of hope and healing, freedom and restoration has already begun. We, talk a lot, we talked a lot about this not long ago in our Gospel of the Kingdom series, so I won't get too deep into that at this moment. But why should we say yes to Jesus? Because it's how we find true life. But how are we even able to do this? You know, if we're talking about a new sense of self, 
and redefining ourselves. You know, we can't kind of give ourselves a new soul just by our own willpower or by reasoning with ourselves. So how do we change our priorities and receive this new, defined, new definition, new sense of self? You know, we've got to redirect our desires. I have a three-year-old who can strongly desire a certain toy that another child is playing with because he wants to play with it and he says it's his. But if I can redirect him to a new desire, like, oh, let's look at this truck over here, or let's go out and play at the park, then he can find, enjoy that new thing and find joy in that desire. So when we're able to deny ourselves we're captivated by a new desire. When we recognize that Jesus Christ first gave himself up for us, it reorients us and our desires. In Luke 9:22, the verse right before the passage we read this morning, Jesus says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So before Jesus asks us to give up our lives, he gave up his. Before he asks us to pick up our cross, he picked up his. We're not saved by taking up our cross, we're saved because he already took up his. He was already rejected and suffered and died for us. Our discipleship begins with God's pursuit of us, not our pursuit of him. And we've got to let that sink in. If we want to follow and become more like Christ, we must be captivated by the reality of his unmerited delight in us. This isn't something we earn. It's not something we can attain by our works. It's the experience of God's love that changes us. It's a radical encounter with God's mercy and grace. And that's what compels us to reorder our priorities and it gives us new definition and a sense of self. So I wanna offer you a few questions for reflection this morning that can just kinda of help awaken us to Christ's love for us. A few of these are from Tim Keller. But these are questions we can ask, or ask ourselves, you know, if we're kind of struggling to be recaptivated by the love of Christ. How real has God been this week to your heart? How clear and vivid is your assurance and certainty of God's forgiveness and fatherly love? To what degree is that real to you right now? Are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious and encouraging? Which ones? Are you conscious of a growing sense of evil in your heart and in response, a growing dependence on and grasp of the mercy of God? You know, Preston Sprinkle is a New Testament professor and author, and he says, we become more like Jesus only after we admit that we're nothing like Jesus. So this is kind of getting to that point. What are you living for? What are you hoping to gain by your actions today? How long will those things last? So hopefully these questions will just kind of help reorient us a little bit to Christ. And, and if, as we submit to his authority, we make him our main priority 
That's what gives us true life and purpose. So let's remember also that this isn't just a one-time thing. It's not something that just immediately happens and, and then we, you know, we're, we say yes to following Jesus and then we're good to go. Our priorities are always in the right place. You know, Jesus says in the passage to take up the cross daily. This is a journey. Um, we remember Peter, who we've already referenced, one of Jesus' greatest disciples. Jesus calls Peter in the beginning of Mark, chapter 1. He says, follow me. And he immediately puts down his fishing net and he goes to follow Jesus. But we see a lot of pitfalls in his journey along the way. So, you know, he starts sinking in the water at one point. He denies Jesus. We talked about that. He, uh, Jesus even calls him Satan at one time. So Peter doesn't seem to have the best track, track record on his discipleship journey. But at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus reinstates him as a disciple. And once again, after all those things, John 21, he says again, follow me. So our discipleship is a journey of daily responding to Jesus' call for us to follow him. Being intentional about our life with Christ laying aside our priorities and ambitions and our sense of self, building our lives on him, making him that one thing, pursuing his desires and receiving his identity upon ourselves. And that is true life. Let's pray. God, this is hard. Our instincts are to, to pursue what we desire, to do the things we want to do. Just as Adam and Eve in the garden, we want to be Lord of our own lives. And God, we forget that when we submit to your authority, that's what gives us real purpose and meaning in life. That's what sustains us and gives us joy and peace. And that's what brings glory to you and, and enables us to be part of what you're doing to bring restoration and hope to the world. So Lord, help us this morning to be re redirected, recaptured by the wonder and beauty of your grace. Help us, Lord, to see how you have pursued us and to respond to you with joyful obedience and submission. We offer this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.